As we, we enter into, again, the new year, this whole idea of New Year's resolutions, researchers suggest that only 9% of Americans that make resolutions actually complete them. In fact, 23% of people will have already broken some of those resolutions they made before the end of the first week. And 43% by the end of January. And so I was sharing this, you know, the other night as we were having our Bible study and discussion about, you know, going to the gym and in early January there, man, you know, the, the parking lot is just packed full. But for those of us that were already going there in December, we know it's how it goes. You see people come in in January. They all come in there, got this, this face of, oh, yeah, we're here in the gym. I'm going to do good this year. They got this face of determination. And then within just a few weeks, at least by the, the end of January for sure, you don't see those new faces anymore, or very few of them. The parking lot is back to like it was in December. Around the holidays when nobody's coming. In fact, research shows that gym membership signups are the most in January. Because everybody sets out, it seems, with the goal to improve their physical health, to get more physically fit, to be more active at the beginning of the year. Every year is the first one. Physical health or improving our health is the most notorious, most chosen resolution of them all. In fact, if we look at the slide here from Forbes Research, these are, are from their research the, the most noted, most chosen resolutions for the year 2024 as we are about to enter it. And you see that the very first one there is improved fitness. And then you have finances. And then you have three other health goals, mental health, losing weight, and improve the diet. And then beyond that, we have some relationship stuff and those that, you know, we want to quit doing kind of stuff. And you... But I had to wonder, you know, as Christians, are we any different? Well, LifeWay Research has done the, their own research on this, polling over a thousand American Christians, self-proclaimed Christians, on this, these goals themselves. And once again, you see my health being number one. The only difference here is number two, which is my relationship with God. But then, then you go right back into the same ones. My relationship with my father, my use of time, my work, relationships. The same things. There's not, not very much difference between us and anybody else that you would ask out there in the world. And so that's why I decided to do this Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise series as we enter into the new year, knowing that many of us want to have better health. We want to improve our finances. We want to draw closer to God. We want to have better spiritual health. We want to make sure that our social surroundings, our, our, our friends and our neighbors and all of that meets up with, with good, good people and, and people that you know are going to have our back or that we're going to have their back. And we're going to look at the mental health to see what kind of things and goals that we can, we can either set or make as we head into the new year as well in the hopes that we find this idea of a more holistic plan lined, with, lined up with God's Word and have a more balanced and fulfilled life. And so again, today we are going to focus on physical health, 
being the first one because again i know that most of us or many people are setting out with that goal to lose weight to get better physically fit to improve our health in some way because we all want to live long and prosper right we all want to have that 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 life where we're physically able to do all the things that we want to do, we're in a good place physically, not having to take so much medicine, our weight's where we want it to be, all those type of cholesterol levels down where it needs to be, right? So the doctor gets off of our case. And then some of us may have those habits, you know, the smoking and things of that nature that we also need to break. And the truth is, science tells us of the many benefits of being more physically active, more physically fit. Here's just a few of them. It says the immediate effects are better sleep. Well, I think I need to work out more on that one. Less anxiety, better blood pressure. And then the long-term effects, which is where we're kind of looking down the road to, to get to, is better brain health, better heart health, cancer prevention, healthy weight, bone strength, and better balance and coordination. All these are good goals, right? All these are things that we want to, to make sure that we have going forward. We want improved cognition. We want better mental health. We want better physical health. And we want to make sure that we're living a full and enjoy li enjoyable life as we're moving forward. But there's one of those words that, you know, kind of conjures up. That's sort of the number of words in this today's talk. I promise you that. But one of those words that conjures up some feelings of hatred for some of us. The word exercise. We don't like exercise, do we? It's not something that many of us enjoy. In fact, the, the, looking it up in, in a Bible dictionary, it said it is, an, it is an acidic mortification of the flesh and denial of personal gratification. Does anything in that statement sound like it's any good? I don't think any of it does. The idea being that some felt like it was, and it speaks some other, of some other religions out there, that some felt like exercise meant to basically torture yourself, to put it lightly, to do it to the point of embarrassment, to do it to the point of total denial of anything, and I do mean anything, pleasurable. Like many religions, you can take even physical fitness too far, right? And some religions, we're teaching that or we'll teach that. If the real definition of physical exercise is the activity of exerting your muscles in various ways to keep fit. Sounds wonderful, right? I, that's right. We're talking to you. We're talking to all of us. I'm talking to myself. Anytime I get on here, y'all know I'm preaching to myself, right? We don't like the word exercise. Exercise means to just do something. It doesn't even really specify a goal, does it? And so we're going to get into talking about that idea of goal. But I like this. This Mr. Uh, a doctor named Paul H. Wright wrote this. He's he written a number of different Bible things. It says, the Bible speaks only briefly of physical exercise. 1 Timothy 4.8 recognizes the value of bodily training, but subordinates it to the greater value of godliness. Because the human body was created by God, it is incumbent on people to care for their bodies. 
This is particularly true for Christians whose bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 which are to be presented to God as living sacrifices, Romans 12.1. Using the imagery of a runner, the, the Apostle Paul speaks of the need to pommel and subdue his body in order to qualify it for life's race. Now, when I read that pommel, I had to look back and make sure it wasn't a misspelling because I'm thinking pommel. Like beat down the body to subdue it. Because sometimes it takes that, right? And sometimes that's what exercise feels like. It is torture to the body, torture to the mind for a lot of us. So we're going to look at the scriptures, the same ones that were mentioned here. And many of you may be pretty familiar with this one from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 from Paul's own words. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul is speaking to the Greeks here, and he's like, we're all running a race. And I'm telling you, we are all running a race. We're all in the race of our lives. But we don't know how far we've got to go. We don't know what kind of trials we're going to have to face. We don't know if we're running a 5K, if we're running a marathon or an ultra marathon. All we know and all Paul tells us is that we are running a race. Who usually wins the prize in a race? It's usually the one that is the most prepared, the one that has already counted the cost, the one that has that target, knows that the end measure is where they want to get to, and they will forego everything else to make that happen. And the truth is, this is why most resolutions and goals fail for many of us. Because we're not that prepared. We haven't counted the cost. The goal at the end is just a lofty goal that, or ideal maybe, that we would like to get to. But it isn't enough for us to sacrifice to get there. So we look at the cost and we say, you know, I don't know that I want to pay that price. Because the cost includes time, energy, effort and an investment, an investment of sacrifices to win the race. And so often we quit. And the truth is we fail when we quit. Quitters never win, your parents told you right. And we laughed at them. But it's true. If we quit the race, we don't get to the end. We don't receive the prize. We don't get a, a, a participation trophy. We don't make our goals and our, our resolutions happy in any facet of our life if we quit. But many of us, we start the race, like those people going to the gym on Monday, or excuse me, uh, yeah, it will be Monday, January 1st, if the gym's open. It's harder than we thought. It's harder to get that body into the condition that we want it to be in, right? 
And most of the time we, we go into these goals and these plans and these dreams and we things just don't happen fast enough. We don't see the results fast. Well, I should be, I should have lost five pounds in this first day. I didn't eat today for lunch. That means I should have lost three pounds right there. How many of you have probably said something similar to yourself when trying to get better fit, when trying to get more healthy? And when the results don't come fast enough, we throw in the towel. We quit. We step out of the ring. We get off the track. You know, I can't help but think about there's so many people that go into the faith like this. They go to Jesus, they get saved, they, they attend a church meeting or a church gathering, and the pastor makes the, the, the gospel proclamation there, and do you want Jesus? And he promises, you know, Jesus will take care of everything you need. And so they raise their hand or they go to the altar or they say that silent prayer to themselves because they're thinking that God's going to help that trial, that Jesus is going to make that problem go away, that those consequences for the trouble I got into before I walked into that church or into that space, he's going to make magically disappear. And that all my days are just going to be rainbow colored and rosy going forward, if I accept Jesus. And this is the service that many of us preachers and pastors have done throughout the years is we haven't told you, count the cost. Know that he may choose not to fix what ails you. Know that sometimes he's just going to walk with you through the trouble. Sometimes life is going to get even harder. Jesus had no easy life. Paul had no easy life. None of the apostles had easy lives. They all ended up giving up their lives for their faith. The truth is, most of us live in a place where that's not going to be required of us. We've gotten used to the blessing of God by living in a place where it's safe to have faith, where it's easy to have faith. And so whenever he doesn't work out for us or whenever he doesn't do what we want him to do, we throw in the towel. We get out of the ring. We step off the racetrack. And so with that, I want to give us some practical advice as we go into this year to help us overcome the temptation to quit on the resolutions and the goals and plans that we have made. And to do that, of course, we're going to be looking at the Scriptures. We're going to go back to 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 27, because I want to point out some of these on here. He says that every athlete exercises self-control in all things. It's another one of those dirty words, ain't it? Another one of those words we don't like. I don't like self-control. Unless it benefits me, then I got all the control in the world, right? But you see, the truth is, our flesh will give us all these different excuses, excuses, and temptations to say it's okay. 
You can have that extra meal. You don't have to go to the gym today. That block will still be here, still be here tomorrow. You don't have to go walk around the block today. Dog don't want to go out for a walk, right? So you don't need to go for a walk. But maybe we should get tired. Get weary from work, weary from life itself many times. We procrastinate. That's me. I'll, I'll raise my hand. I'll be honest on here. I procrastinate all the time. Because it requires self-control for us to race the race, for us to get to the finish, for us to make whatever goals and resolutions that we're, we're targeting to happen. And then he speaks of, he says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. See, to run aimlessly is to not be intentional. To not have any direction to go in. It's like the idea of entering the, the, the new year coming up and I want to get better health. I, I want to get healthy this year. That's going to be my goal. I'm just going to get healthy this year. What's the, the goal of healthy? Where is that target at? Where is that direction at to get healthy? You know, we can we, we make all kinds of those, right? Those kind of, of things we wanna wanna get better at. <laughs> There's one. I want to get better at whatever. I just want to get better. How about that? Oh. Uh, so one of the ideas, of course, is to if you have some kind of plan or goal or, or something of that nature, especially when it comes to physical exercise as well. We got to put it on the calendar. We got to put it out there in front of us that says Monday, four o'clock, gym. So that nothing else can come in the way of that happening. So that whenever we come in, we've got that blocked off for us. We've got to set better goals. Again, aimlessly means that we don't really have a defined goal before us. And so you may have heard the acronym of making SMART goals. That is specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound goals. You see, a lot of us, when it comes to health, we go into the, the new year and we say, well, I just want to lose weight. I want to lose weight this year. How do you measure losing weight? Is it a pound less than I did December 31st? Is it 30 pounds less? Where's the specifics in the goal? What is the target you're aiming for? And then that usually brings into it that idea of measurability to it. You can measure your weight, right? You can measure how much weight you're losing. You can measure how many times you go to the gym. If that's, that's another goal some of us might make, I want to go to the gym three times a week. I want to make a goal of going to the week, going to the gym five times a week. I want to get up every morning at six o'clock in the morning and work out for an hour. Those are the measurable fixing physical goals. Achievable. And this goes against some teaching, you know, a lot of them they say, you know, make the 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 great hairy audacious goals or whatever, which are usually the things that are bigger than you can reach. But usually they're still specific, they're still measurable. They may be relevant, they may be time-bound, but they're, they're, the achievability of them is just outside of your normal reach. 
But it's like me, I can't go and say, you know, I want to, I want to be able to bench press 400 pounds in the next six months. Probably not going to be able to achieve that. Might be lucky if I do half of that, to be honest. So it's got to be something that you can achieve and that you can reach to. And irrelevant just means that it actually means something to you. You can't just have a goal just thrown out there or take somebody else's goal, you know, a resolution and make it your own. Relevant means it has to mean something. It has to be relevant to you and your life. If it doesn't have anything to do with you, then why are you going to keep it, right? And then time bound is that idea of how long is it going to take me to get to that goal? Sure, some of you may just say by December 31st, 2024, I want to be 30 pounds less than I am on January 1st. It's a good, specific, measurable goal. Now, let me tell you something I did, and I just wrote a blog about it the other day on reading books. One of my goals one year was to read more books. And, but I knew I needed to sit down and say again, have something more specific and actually, how many books did I want to read? So I sat down and said, I want to read 12 books by the end of the year. That's one a month, right? I'm not a voracious reader. I'm not a fast reader. So uh, 12 books is pretty good for me. That's, that's a great target, but how am I going to get there? A goal without a plan is just a dream. So I had to break it down. That was the best way I thought what I could do. So I could break it down into measurable steps so that I could track my progress. So I went through all 12 of those books. I counted up all the pages. I added them all up. I divided it by 365. That gave me nine pages a day I needed to read. Do you think I hit that goal that year? I sure did. I read 15 books that year, regular physical books. I read one Kindle book. And I also listened to seven other books on Audible. So that's the thing. I made a specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, time-bound goal, and then I even broke it down into steps to help me get there. And so you might need to do the same thing, especially when it comes to physical fitness and health and, and being more healthy and being more physically fit. If you want to lose weight, then you set that target of 30 pounds, say in a year's time. Well, that's what, two and a half pounds a month or so? So then you have that goal to try to hit every month. And what, is that, what happens whenever we do that? When we do that, it gives us the endorphins and the dopamine effect in our mind that, hey, I made the goal. I'm on track. We see those results. We get those results that we were desiring. So it helps us to do something more than just running aimlessly. I can go out here and run the block all I want. But hopefully I'm going to have enough sense to run around the right roads in the right direction to get me back to where I need to be. It says, I do not box as one beating the air. Have you ever air boxed? I think that's what you call it. That's me sitting back here, you know, running around here. Some people think that's a good cardio workout. But the idea is there's no resistance there. It might give me a little bit of workout, but it's not going to do the same unless I go back there and I hit on the, the punching bag. I hit something with resistance. I can go back there and I can lift the same weight every day on the bench or squat or whatever. 
And that resistance is going to get easier and easier every day. But I'm not going to grow any. I'm not going to get stronger and stronger. It's only when I add more resistance, more weight, that I'm going to start hitting those goals. And so when you got goals and when you got resolutions you want to hit, you got to be ready to face the resistance. You got to be willing to put forth effort against the resistance. And another one of those dirty words. Y'all ready for it? Discipline. But none of us like the word discipline. It's almost right there with the word exercise, right? And self-control. I told you, I'm telling you some dirty words today. But the truth is, you're not going to make those goals, you're not going to make those resolutions without discipline. That's what Paul's teaching here. He says, I discipline my body and keep it under control. There's that self-control part again. It means changing our habits, making new habits. It means being intentional, disciplining, becoming the master of your body. Too many of us are running around here letting our flesh dictate what, what, we, what we're going to do. The flesh wants to do what the flesh wants to do. The flesh wants to do everything that is wrong. The flesh wants the sweets, right? The flesh wants to lay down on the couch and watch some TV. It don't want to go outside and run around the block. It don't want to go push on some weight. But if we master our bodies, if we exercise self-discipline, we'll make those goals. And I love this because Paul takes full responsibility for his standing amongst the people. In verse 27, he says, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. What Paul's talking about here again, he's speaking to the Greeks who are all about the where the Olympics and all that good stuff, the idea of Olympia comes from and exercise and things of that nature. He understands the importance, the responsibility of being the example. He understands that everybody was looking at him and listening to him speech and teach, speech, speak and teach. And if he got up there and he said something or told someone else to do something he himself was not willing to do, then he's a hypocrite, right? We love that word hypocrite too. We don't want to be hypocrites. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to sit here and try to teach you or, or preach you something that I'm not going to be willing to do myself. This kind of makes me think I need to be working out some more too. But we can't be saying one thing and doing another. And so it's kind of like, you know, he, he's talking about himself as the example. It's kind of like if you go to the gym and, and you're, you're in need of a, uh, a trainer, what kind of trainer are you going to choose? Are you going to choose one that looks like they've been sitting on the couch most of their life? Or are you going to choose the one that has the body like you want? I know that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose the buff dude over there because he's showing me that he's living what he's teaching. 
And if he's living what he's teaching, then I know he can teach me to live out the same thing and to achieve the same goals. And it's interesting, as you, you read this, I understand that, that Paul speaking of, of course, mainly his work as a preacher and as a teacher as well, but he's, he's understanding that he's been purchased by Christ, that his body is not his own. And he understands, you know, he speaks of us being grafted into the body, purchased by Christ. And so if we, we flip over to, to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Did you notice that, that little word in there says, therefore? You see the word therefore or but. That means you need to go back to some verses or maybe a chapter or two prior to what you just read. We have to remember, the text didn't have the chapters and, and all that in it whenever when it was originally written. This was a letter written to people, to a church. And so it had me, I'm like, well, what's, what's therefore? So I go back to Romans 11. And in Romans 11 is where he is explaining the idea of God grafting in the Gentiles, the non-Jews, into the vine of Christ, into the vine of God. And he had cut off some of the ones that, some of the Jewish people that didn't accept Christ when they came. And a little bit prior to that, he speaks of, I believe it's Elisha, Elisha or Elijah, where he was going through a time of life where everyone around him, all the prophets and all that, had, they had been killed. And poor old Elisha, he, he thinks that he's all by himself and he's crying out to God. He's like, I don't understand. You've allowed this to happen to all my people. There's no one here but me. I'm all alone. I'm by myself. And they're going to kill me too. All hope was gone for him. And he's crying out to God, I'm the only one. Have you ever felt like that? I know I have. I'm pretty sure you have too at some point. But God tells him, he says, no, you're not. I've saved people over here that you don't know about. I've saved a remnant for myself. And then that's when our Paul goes on into saying that about because the Jews had rejected the Messiah, Christ, God has replaced those that had rejected him, made the offer of salvation to the Gentiles, to the 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 non to the, the non-Jews, excuse me, made the offer to them to be grafted into the vine of salvation, the vine of the kingdom, the vine of those that Christ would die and give his life for. So he's understanding here, though, that to do this, Christ purchased us. He purchased Paul for his own, to bring us into the vine, to give us that right relationship with the Father. And so he's saying, you know, our bodies are to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. 
What we do with them matters. How we treat them matters. It's like, it's, it says it's our spiritual worship. That means all of our being, all of our bodies, everything about us are to be sacrifices to the Lord in obedience and stewardship of what he's already given us. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with the price. Now glorify God in your body. It's interesting, as we saw in the, the children's video with the, the temple, if you go back to, to Genesis and Exodus and you read about the, the temple and the tabernacle, and it's those parts that sometimes we might find ourselves skipping over the, 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 fa the fashioning, the creating of the embellishments and all the adornment and the, the instruments and stuff that are to be placed inside the tabernacle and to the, the curtains and all that that's supposed to surround it and the temple itself, and all the beautiful adornments that are supposed to be in it, those were the things that God said he wanted in his temple. He wanted his temple to be a place of awe and reverence, a place of beauty. Don't get me twisted here. I'm not talking about us and our, our outside beauty here. Because I, I want, to, want to get this point to you that Though the temple was ornately designed and beautiful and all that, it was meant to be a place that worshipped God, not a place that was worshipped. And so we had to be careful with this idea of taking care of our bodies and reaching our fitness goals and our health goals to make sure that we're doing it in a way that speaks for, or that, that works for our health and being obedient and being good stewards of what God has given to us, instead of bowing to the vanity of self-worship. We want to make sure that we take care of the body as best we can because God has given it to us. It's the only one we got till we get to heaven. It's our earth suit here. And so think of yourself as, as if you were building a temple for God. How would you treat it? What would you bring into it? What kind of things would you allow to enter into that, that temple or into your body? This brings us to the food matters, right? We don't want to talk about the food stuff either, do we? A lot of times that means giving up things or adding things in we don't like. But our, our, our fitness regimens and things, those kind of affect the outer look of us. Now, granted, they do some good for us inside. They can help us lose some weight as well. But a lot of it is external, making us look better in the mirror, right? We all want to look better in the mirror, how I look today. We want to look better. We want to look good to everybody else and ourselves. if we're totally honest with ourselves, But we also have to be careful with what we put into our bodies. If we're going to steward our bodies and take care of them because God has given, given us them and has purchased us for himself, then we got to watch what we eat to a degree. It don't mean become obsessive about it. It just means making sure that we're making some good choices. Maybe cutting back on calories. Maybe entering in more, more whole foods into our diet. 
maybe not stopping by the fast food restaurant. Maybe not having that extra helping of, of cake or pie or whatever. You see, the Bible speaks of this term called gluttony. Another word we don't really use a lot today, but we are not to be gluttonous when eating, for gluttony is a sin, and it's not one that you hear many pastors or preachers teach on, because it's a common sin that all of us fall into at some point or another, for honest. I mean, you can't help it. You know, somebody brings over some good taste and food, man, you want to eat all you can, right? But I want to read this proverb for you. Proverbs 23, 20. Be not drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Solomon equates, and I'm going to say God equates, the idea of drunkards and gluttonous in the same sentence here. The same teaching. And I ain't going to lie here. I kind of got my, my, my own toes stepped on because it says gluttonous eaters of meat. Because I'm the person at the table and I'll eat all the meat I can. I don't need no bread. Mashed potatoes are good. But I'm going to eat all the meat that I can most of the time. I'm going to fill myself up on meat most of the time. But it says they will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. But I want to focus on the word gluttony here because the word that is trans, uh, transliterated into to gluttony or, or whatever, it, the word means a debache, which I can't really say, debache, whatever, or wasters of their own body. What does it mean to be a waster of our body? I think it speaks to the bad effects that overeating does for us. It makes us unhealthy. It makes us even want to do less physical activity, if we're honest. And it's an embarrassing thing whenever we overeat. We can barely move or we end up weighing way too much. Causing a strain. It's not a way for us to honor the body that God has given us. So when we talk about stewarding our bodies, we have to understand stewarding is about having self-control, mastery over the flesh. It's about saying no most of the time. Give a little leeway there. Don't want to be too, too strict on it, right? Because I know myself. Again, I don't want to sit here and, and preach something to you I'm not working on or trying to improve in my own self. I don't want to be a hypocrite either. But it's interesting because, like I said, the flesh wants what the flesh wants. It wants all the bad stuff, and it wants as much of it as it can get. Do you realize that the, the lust of the flesh was the original sin? Eve was, was told to, to look at that, that fruit on the tree that God told them not to eat from. And the scripture tells us, it says that she saw that the tree was good for food. That was the lust of her eyes. That it was a delight of the eyes. Excuse me, I knew that was coming. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She was convinced that God was not only holding out something tasty from her, but also that he 
was holding back something that that she couldn't obtain, that she couldn't have. The wisdom. She wanted to be like God. She thought she would learn something new. But it was the delight to the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the desire for the food, for the fruit, that caused her to sin. So we've got to have self-control and mastery over our bodies and over the, the, the influence of our flesh to do what is not right. But we've got to remember to keep first things first. So whenever it comes to fitness and health and all these resolutions and stuff that we're going to be talking about throughout this series, I want to make sure that we, we stay focused and that we understand and that we have proper perspective as we move forward. And this story kind of illustrates that point. Eric Henry Liddell was a Scottish athlete who played athletics and rugby union who later served as a Christian missionary. He was born in China to Scottish missionary parents. He attended boarding school near London, spending time when possible with his family in Edinburgh and afterwards attended the University of Edinburgh. At the 1924 Summer Olympics in Paris, Liddell refused to run in the heats of his favored 100 meters because they were held on Sunday. Instead, he competed in the 400 meters held on a weekday, a race that he won. Then he returned to China in 1925 to continue serving as a missionary teacher. It's his Olympic training and racing and the religious convictions that he held that are highlighted in the, in the 1981 film, Chariots of Fire. See, Liddell was a man that ran with convictions. He did not run aimlessly. He had a, a race to win, literally. But he also was obedient to God. He held God's will, God's desires, higher than the race and his own desires of his flesh to win. He knew what his priority was to be. See, friends, the truth is there's only so much time of, in each day that we, and we have to choose what it is that we're going to prioritize for God, how we're going to prioritize our lives. So Paul writes this to Timothy, he says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. As he said, bodily training is of some value. But godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. We may need to get more physically fit. We may need to do a better job of watching what we eat. But we can allow those goals and those, those dreams and desires, resolutions, to draw us away from our relationship with God. And so coming up in, in a few weeks, we're going to look at the, the spiritual health and practices to help us grow better in our faith. Because Paul is saying here for us to not abandon our first love. We are not to abandon our first love, which is to be Christ. 
He is to be priority above all. Our relationship with Christ is of the utmost importance, and we, but yet it should lead us to be good stewards of all that he's given us, including our bodies. Remember, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with the price. So glorify God in your body. Friends, what we do with our bodies is important. How we take care of them, how we store them is important. We are to be good, holy, righteous, and kind to ourselves. And if we want to make these goals or these dreams or these plans happen, we need to first make sure they line up with God's will for us which I would say this one does. He's given us our bodies to take care of. They're dying every day. We know that. We can only put it off so long. But we're to take care of it as long as it is within our possession and our ability to do so. It's my hope and prayer that you are able to reach whatever goals and dreams you have for your physical health. Because it'll be good for you. Promise you that. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for these, these bodies, these earth suits that you have given us. Father, and for your word that, that does have some encouragement for us to take care of them, to treat them as temples of the Holy Spirit, to make them look good to control them. Father, for you call us to be a self-controlled people. And when our self is weak, we are to rely on you to help us be strong. Father, help us to resist the temptation to, to not do the good. Help us to resist the temptation to put our bodies in places where it shouldn't be. Help us to resist the temptation to put things into our bodies that should not be in them. And help our actions to line up with our words. Help our lives to line up with your word. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.